0: First pitch tonight between the Blue Jays and the Red Sox. What? That's 710. You want to make sure you know it's not 707 or 703, or 701. Get it right. God knows we want to be accurate on this show. Actually, we don't care about accuracy I do. sports talk radio.
1: I do. Why do you think I have all these notes?
0: I do wonder about that. And you also cover uh, you also cover them in plastic, which I like.
1: I do. It's so I know who I'm talking about and, and what I want to say about them. Duo
0: tank or those little things you can stick them in a binder. That's good. And you got color coded stuff. Yeah, I like that. Thank God somebody does some research on this show. Huh. Uh Lost my train of thought. Jay's Ooh. in the. No, no it's just it's, it's. I was thinking of two things at once. Brad Lidge joins us at eleven thirty. Mm. A and we will uh, get Brad's take on the AL East down the stretch. I Also, want to talk about some of the things we're seeing in bullpens around baseball. Did we did talk about
1: the Phillies too. You got
0: to right. talk about the Phillies, but yeah, you think you think the Brewers knew something about Josh
1: Hader? No, no question, man. No question, man. I don't know how man. you would know. But they, they seem to they seem to know something they they knew something. Yeah. He he doesn't look real good. You know, confidence is a funny thing. He looks overmatched, man, right oh, now. Oh, I overmatch is strong. He looks I overmatched that's strong. He Wolf, looks like he's
0: i I don't gonna, think I'm, he's enjoying not, his time in San Diego.
1: Oh, what? How uh, do you not enjoy San Diego? Well, I don't know. I, I think I think he's fighting something that they don't know what that something is. Possible. Got all You got all them pieces. Now you got to figure out who's close in game. Think <laughs> about that. Well, look, it's it's not an easy thing. And everybody, you know, is, is up in arms about the Blue Jays' bullpen. Think about what they've tried to do all year.
0: Yeah. Huh.
1: I mean, at least they got, at least Jordan Romano's been good. I and mean, he wasn't always pitching as much as everybody liked him to pitch. But now he is. So, you know it's it's not the easiest thing to always match up and pick the right guy jeff do we have tom
0: okay sorry i uh i was i i thought i thought anyhow um i was just reading the w e e i website about uh and the red sox coverage and they were talking about the uh, the issue with the issue. I'm going to call it that with Xander Bogarts and how the frustration is uh, is is growing there now. And it's something that I kind of wondered about. He's not having a good year. Is it the
1: contract issue? Well, the 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 point that I think it's
0: Rob Bradford makes in the story, which is which is interesting. And when Tom joins us, we will talk to him about it. Is, is, you know, what do you read into, what do you read, it is Rob Bradford, what do you read into what you're seeing this year? The, the team has underperformed offensively almost across the board. And his question is, does this change how the Red Sox view Xander Bogart? In other words, were this crappy with him? Do we need to commit long-term to him, or can we use that money elsewhere, i.e. Raphael Devers, for example? And it's an interesting, because I think a lot of us just assumed, I I just assumed that it was going to be a very simple equation. It was going to come down to, can the Red Sox afford Xander Bogarts, or are they going to, you know, assigning Trevor's story, give them cover, yada, yada. Now I'm wondering if maybe the question isn't, given the way the year's gone, if you're the Red Sox Sox fans, if you're not looking at this and saying, Maybe it's
1: time. He's still a really good, really good player. I would think if you're the organization, you're the front office, this would give you an excuse to go look at his year. That would be an easier way to separate from him, not bring him back. Fill in the blank with whoever you want to fill it in with. Uh, we, you know the yeah, issues but with Rafael their Devers has not been great. Has not been great since the he trade deadline he, he's either. He's hit a buck fifty five in right. August. Like he hasn't been. JD Martinez has, but he's been still good, right? Rafael Devers. But the right? health and I mean, yeah. he's young. He's the for me, anyways, the left-handed Vladimir Guerrero Jr. It's just you know, it seems like the the three-headed monster. One feeds off the other, and one of them, when one of them's not there, the other one tries to pick up the slack. Well, other teams, when you have to work through all three of them, who do you you got to pick your poison? Who are you doing that with? And it's now easier to pitch around one of them, you know. And how does that affect your your approach to plate? If you're one of the three guys, it's it's an interesting conversation. And I think for me, anyway, it's an excuse to say that that's bothering him because of his contract. I know he's, it's a lot of money and all those things. He's going to get paid. Now, is what he wants to get paid, I don't know. I'm sure his age will have something to do about that. And, you know, the team that he goes to, if it's not the Red Sox. But I just think a lot of the times, look at Vladdy at the beginning of the year. Was Vladdy's slow start because he was trying too hard or protection? Protection is a funny word in a lineup because, again, you're going to pitch a guy the way you're going to pitch him because you're trying to get him out. But if the guy around you, I mean, how much, how much emphasis was put on, how do we get a dude hot that can be shoved right behind Vladdy to somehow they have to now can't go always away and off the plate to Vladdy? They got to throw something to him. Well, one of them big three ain't there. If I'm a smart pitcher and I can locate somewhat of a secondary pitch, that's what I'm saying. I know injuries has part of it to do. I'm sure a little bit of that's the contract. But, again, hitting a baseball is not the easiest thing to do. And getting good pitches to hit is not the easiest thing to do. And on top of it, you know, not everybody's Judge, Aaron Judge, who is having the year that he's having with all the pressure on the contract. So, I just, I, I for me, I think it's if they were winning baseball games because their pitching was a lot better. Look at the Rays; the Rays are winning because their pitching's good. If the Red Sox had better pitching, and and Chris Sale was heth- healthy, I would think the offense would look a little bit better. But every time you hear their manager talk, it's always we need to start hitting, we need to start hitting, we need to start hitting, we need to start hitting. To start hitting. Is there pressure on their lineup? Holy moly! So, yeah, it's it it is it, it is puzzling, you know. And,
0: and I understand that there's a You know, you take a certain amount of, if you're a Jays fan, you take a certain amount of pleasure in watching the Red Sox or the Yankees scuffle. But I just, I just, I I started the year having this conversation with you. I started the year saying, I don't understand how, knowing how important Xander Bogarts is to that organization. He's really involved in the community and all this. The, The idea that he wouldn't be with the Boston Red Sox, I just, I couldn't, couldn't entertain that possibility. Now it almost seems to me as if it's inevitability that he's that he's going to be gone. And I is he a guy you look at him, is he a guy that you'll you'll have to do you have to shift position with at some point? Maybe. Maybe. Put him at I mean, first he's not, base. He's not
1: a great defensive shortstop as it is. He's playing shortstop for the Red Sox because he can hit. Yeah. Put him at first base. But middle order guys who play in the infield don't come around every day. Yeah. But, I, I again, maybe this gets back to the Orioles thing. If you're if you're the Red Sox front office and you're looking at the O's and you're thinking, man, you know, they don't have the big names. They don't pay the big-time money, and they're still winning baseball games. How are they doing it? They're doing it with an unbelievable bullpen. So you try and piece it together that way. Maybe you spend a little bit more money on your bullpen. Now, again, money seems to grow on trees for the Red Sox. So it's a little different there. But you still got to be smart with it, right? So – I don't know. That's a, that's a bit very interesting thing. You better have you better have plan A because he's like A plus. Plan A plus. Better have
0: plan A. If you are the Red Sox, listen to this: thirty one of their final forty games are against teams ahead of them in the division or the wild card standings. Um, you know they're what they're they're thirty nine and forty nine against teams with a winning record, mm-hmm. just one loss more than the Blue Jays, which I I still I still find that's so I just kind of. I haven't been looking every day at the record over 500. I assume the Blue Jays are making some, some impact into that. Basically, if you do the numbers, it looks like using DraftKings Sportsbook, for example, um, you know, they're at plus 700. (laughs) The Red Sox had just reached the playoffs right now. It really, it, it does look, look really, really hard, but, Think about that, 31 of 40 games against teams It's ahead.
1: almost like if you take Kevin Gosman or Alec Mano out of the Blue Jays rotation, like Chris Sale has not been in the rotation all year for the Red Sox, what would happen? Even if you took Jordan Romano out of the closer spot in the back end of the bullpen, what would happen? Like it's those are big losses that's hard to – those shoes are hard to feel. And, again, then it puts so much pressure on another part of your game – and then you have injuries now, and underperforming. It's tough. Uh, I want to ask you. I know you uh, try and do it in Boston. Which is not an easy
0: thing? Uh, this is also an interesting, further to the, the discussion about, um, about Xander Bogarts. Uh, Alex Speer of the Boston Globe had an article yesterday uh, talking about Bogarts saying that he's been playing with pain in his shoulder and wrist since a collision with Alex Verdugo in left field on mm-hmm. May 20th. Uh, when they went for a fly ball he's received cortisone shots in both areas Uh, if you look at his numbers since the collision he's batting 286 361 obp 429 slugging percentage and six home runs uh you know that kind of puts a different a different spin on well
1: contracts are still performance driven yeah even though you are playing with injuries it's almost like if you're trying to get a big deal would you still play Tom Karen is a Red Sox reporter with Nesson. He's also
0: host of the TC and company podcast. He joins us on Blair and Barker. Tom, thanks so much for taking time out to talk to us today. Kevin and I have been going back and forth here about Xander Bogarts. And we had a conversation at the start of the year when we were doing our preseason preview. And I, I both, both of us said we just, I couldn't envision a world where Xander Bogarts wasn't back with the Red Sox. I just, you know, for all the reasons everybody says about Xander Bogarts and the Red Sox. Yet, reading some of the the articles and, and some of the dialogue on social media now, I almost get the sense that there are people in, in Boston, people around the team, who are kind of wondering whether or not it's time for both sides to move on from each other. What's your read of this situation?
2: Yeah, you know, it's a great question. It's probably the most important question uh, hovering around the Red Sox right now. This guy's the captain of the clubhouse. He's the leader of the team. Uh, And he's still, if you want to go by by wins above replacement or you want to look at, uh, uh, you know, comparative uh, numbers of American League shortstops, he's performing as well as just about any shortstop in the game offensively. But the power's gone, right? That was the 10th home run of the year the other night in Williamsport. You expect him to have double that at this point, if not more. Uh, and and so we all know that he's going to opt out of the contract. It was a team-friendly deal. He's got three years left, $60 million. They offered him a little bit of a bump uh, before the season, uh, reports were. He found that to be uh, borderline insulting, so he didn't sign that. But now, after a year like this, uh, you know, I'm not sure what the market will command. There'll be other shortstops out there. And so there is all of a sudden, to your point, this, this kind of uh, vocal minority of the fan base here that's talking more and more about life without Xander. But I can tell you this, in the clubhouse, the players cannot fathom a future without Xander Bogart. He's a really important guy in that clubhouse. And he's a really important guy to Raphael Devers. And we all assume Devers is the guy you're going to build around. He's 25 years old. He's the best player on this team. But those two guys are joined at the hip. And if it gets ugly and Bogarts leaves it, with unhappiness trailing behind him, I think it then becomes extraordinarily difficult to sign Raphael Devers, who'll have one year left.
0: Yeah, it, it you know, and you mentioned the, the fact that it is a, a player option, but I'm also looking at it from Xander Bogarts' point of view, and I'm wondering, uh, you know, Tom, there, there are going to be a lot of shortstops on the mar- on the market this year, and if if I'm Xander Bogarts, do I want to be? another guy on another shortstop on the market or do i look at the red Sox and say you know what i'll 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 stay here for another year i'll exercise my option and you know and away we go and i'll i'll try to put together a good year and and see where where it leads me because it seems as if i look from a distance it seems as if he's he's happy there except for the except for the contract right like i don't get the sense that he's agitating to leave
2: no, well, I, listen, I think that was certainly the case up to maybe a month, six weeks ago. But things have changed here. It's, it's, it's been an ugly year in Boston. You know, they traded away Christian Vasquez, who was his best friend on the team, uh, and a okay. guy who they came up through the minors together. Uh, you know, there, There's this whole sort of uncertainty about the future of this franchise, right? Mookie Betts was traded away. Are they going to sign Devers? They haven't come close yet. So I think for the first time in his Red Sox career, 10 years here with this club, I think for the first time Bogart is looking at this saying, what's the future hold? Where are we going? And, you know, I, I know I was with them in, in Houston when they traded Vasquez and he was rocked. I mean, it was the first time I've, you know, seen him. We asked him, you know, what do you feel about the future? And it was the first time, instead of a glowing answer, he just said, you're going to have to give me a little time to figure this out because I don't know. So, mm. He's always wanted to play here. Unlike Mookie Betts, who kind of gave you mixed signals when he was here, though he now says he wanted to stay. But back then, nobody seemed to know that for sure. Bogarts has thrived in Boston. He's loved playing here. Uh, I I still think there's a chance to get this done. And I, I know that the team ownership has told me that they want to try to get a deal done. So does that mean this offseason they go back to that the the offer they made was basically one more year at 30 million which made it basically 90 million over four years remaining uh if they went back and offered him something like that maybe a little bit more maybe it's four at 100 would he take that i think at this point he would because to your point do you want to be the third shortstop left when they're playing musical chairs i don't think he wants that
1: tom how does trevor story play in all this
2: well, it's been a huge blow to this team, there's no doubt about it. You know, it was a hairline fracture of the wrist. They didn't know that, so they had to, after a couple of weeks of rehab, they had to shut him down completely, which set back his rehab. Now, you know, you haven't really gotten to see what, what Story can do, uh, you know, healthy with this lineup, and he really just started getting sort of locked in at Fenway using that wall, uh, and, and, you know, more of his power has been at Fenway. Did they, did they bring him in to take over at shortstop? That was the the narrative back in the spring. But I'll tell you what, they're really good at second base. And if I'm the Red Sox, I, I think if they had a good year, if, if they were a game out or in the playoff picture right now, it would have been a lot easier for them to move on to Bogarts. But the fans here are restless. Fans here are unhappy with this team. And I, I think if I'm ownership, if I'm management, I think that meter has started to tilt towards, I got to bring back Bogarts because – you know, and you brought in Hosmer, who's you know the bat uh, isn't playing like it used to, but he's really good defensively and he's a good leader on the team. All of a sudden, if you came back next year with Devers, Bogart's Story, and Hosmer, that's a legitimate infield right. uh, with Christian Arroyo kind of as utility guy. Uh, and, and again, I, I I think things have changed here over the last six seven weeks because the fans have really gotten restless. TV ratings are down, attendance other than the Yankee games are down. Uh, it's you know they, they've got a you know there's there's more to baseball in Boston. I hate to say it, than just wins and losses. You guys know, it's, mm. it's you know, Nesson is a programming uh, behemoth, right? And, 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 you know, you need, you need stars, you need storylines, and you need to be competitive. Uh, and, and they've kind of been fading from that.
1: Tom, going into next season, is the pitching side of the ball an easy fix for the Red Sox, easier than the everyday guys? Well, it's easy if
2: Chris Sale could wrap himself in bubble wrap and never leave the house. And, I mean, really, at the, yeah. at the end of the day, because pa- James Paxton was signed. They thought they might get him in August, now September. Now it looks like he's not going to come back this year. But they've got him for two years, assuming they exercise the option. You guys remember, he was really good mm-hmm. before Tommy John surgery with the Mariners and then the Yankees. So if you came back next year with Chris Sale and James Paxton and Nick Pavetta, Brian Bayo's their top prospect, got a little taste before getting hurt. He'll be back next year. Cutter Crawford's been a good number five. I think they make a move to bring Michael Walker back, who's been outstanding. I, I, I think if the top of that rotation is healthy and that's Sale and Paxton, then it's an easy fix. The trouble is, you know, you've had, I, I, it's like 52 innings in the last two and a half years out of Chris Sale. Uh, so I don't know if that's an easy fix. I, I don't think Nate Evaldi is going to be back. His contract's up and, and his shoulders barking again. He won't pitch tonight. So I, I, you know, but I do think you can fix it with one middle of the rotation guy, whether it's Michael Walker or somebody like that. And and they hope that Salem Paxton are at the top of the rotation.
0: How's Alex Cora handling all this?
2: Hmm, that's a great question. He, you know, this is a guy who, who has said, I'm not going to manage forever. Uh, he's got two young kids. Uh, he, he wants to win. You know, he's, he's been a coach. He's been winning everywhere. And I, I think some of what happens this offseason is going to include some serious conversations between Heim Bloom ownership and Alex Cora. Because if this is a two year rebuild where they're waiting for Marcelo Meyer, their top draft pick of last year, and, and, and Nick York and Blaze Jordan, all these good young draft picks they got who are in single A. Uh, I don't know that Alex Cora wants to be around a Baltimore Orioles rebuild. Mm -hmm. Uh, But if you're going to go into free agency, and again, they've already got enough locked up for next year, that I don't think they're going to blow it up and start over. I think they're going to try to patch it back together and be competitive next year. Then I think he's fine. He's a really important guy here. The players love him. The fans love him. uh, And, and, you know, they're worried about PR a little bit at the top right now. Uh, I think they need Alex Cora to be part of this.
1: Tom, has Alex Verdugo surprised you as
2: a baseball player? When he's on the stretch like he is right now, yes. I mean, he you know, the, the Dodgers knew they had a good young player. Uh, but I there was some question whether he was an everyday player. He's been a really good everyday player here. Uh, you know, not not a lot of home run power, but the doubles have been there. Uh the last six weeks he's been on an absolute tear. And and he has said it's it's when he stops trying to hit home runs that he has success. And he's got away from that now. It's line drive, gap to gap. You get your doubles. Uh, He plays, you know, he plays a a league average or better outfield. So, yeah, I I mean, you know, listen, what would you get from Mookie Betts at the end of the day? Right now you got Alex Verdugo and two guys who haven't been able to crack the major league lineup, Connor Wong, who might factor into the catching mix next year, and Jeter Downs, who's had trouble hitting a triple play. Uh, so Verdugo better be a good player, but yeah, I, I I've been pleasantly surprised with what they've gotten out of Verdugo.
0: Tom, we really appreciate you joining us today. Thanks so much. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate it, guys.
2: Thank you.
0: Tom Karen is a Red Sox reporter with Nesson. He's host of the TC and Company podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom Karen. The interesting decisions for the Red Sox. I, I would think the Alex. The reason I asked Alex Cora is Alex Cora appears to be. He appears to be the one guy that the red Sox fans have faith in given the situation right now with heim bloom right i mean they, they look they know that john henry the, the, that the the ownership group fenway sports and entertainment or whatever the hell the name of it i mean they're spending they're going to spend money in their teams their teams are always going to be competitive and all that but it was interesting hearing tom say that sometimes i think we forget that we just assume that everything is results driven and yeah it is obviously the more you win the happier you're going to be But I think in a city like Boston, where you've had repeated success recently, and you are a TV property, you do have to, it's a very, the the tie that Red Sox fans have with their team is different than the tie Blue Jays fans have with their team. It's different even than the tie Yankees fans have with their team. It's just, there's, there's a lot, there's more of a sense of a shared experience there. And I think because of that, if you're a Red Sox fan, you do like to have your guys. The Mookie Betts thing, you know, we, Rob Bradford has written about this a lot. I think in a lot of other markets, we don't understand how deep that cut in Boston. Mm-hmm. You know, teams, yeah, guys want to leave and they're chasing money and, well, yeah, to going to L.A. It's a, Mookie Betts <clears throat> leaving when he did and the way he did, I think was a real... It was a real blow to this fan base, even more so than perhaps, you know, any 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 results on the field, because he was one of their own, he was their guy, and we'd kind of gotten away from Boston's a place I don't want to be. You know, I mean we heard the things. It wasn't friendly for African American players, it wasn't friendly for Latino players, all the stereotypes people used to have of Boston. Kind of got shoved by the wayside by Ortiz and Martinez and Ramirez and winning the World Series and all that, and and when Mookie Betts was unhappy, I think that kind of stirred a lot of the old, the old fears in Red Sox fans. And for that reason, I can, I can see if you got a player who is beloved and, and Xander Bogarts is loved by the fan base, uh-huh. maybe for the Red Sox, this this may be the guy where you kind of. You go to your front office and you say, analytics are great. Yes, you could spend the money differently. We get all that. But given where we are, maybe we've got to give our fans this. You know, maybe,
1: maybe maybe rich people are rich for a reason. You know, they don't do things that, that aren't smart for their organization. I, I, I do think if you're a Red Sox fan, you, you look at this big picture. You look at it as, look at our first baseman. Who? What? Yeah. You look at our center fielder. What? You can't take care of your third baseman who's probably one of the best Top six or yeah. seven players uh, in baseball. Question. Now you got this thing going on with your shortstop. Now you traded away a team friendly, uh, player friendly. You know everybody loved Vasquez, yeah. and you didn't really know why you trading that. It just seems like they, they just. For whatever reason it's the Red Sox. Like they win all the time, they're used to winning. It was and a it's very... just the position players that they do have that you see all the time. The yeah. Chris Sale thing, I mean, that'll make you scratch your head all going on with that, and you just sort of used to seeing it's only a matter of time before the shoe drops on that thing and it gets hurt walking down the street. But that like, also that's so a lot there's a lot going on there. yeah, but, yeah, but I think the Red Sox fans are going, what well, it don't happen here. And I think maybe As
0: much. I think maybe Red Sox fans are also looking at this and saying, Okay, what needs doing in this team? Well, uh, if, if Sale comes back, you know Sale and Paxton. Um, you look. You made the point. You look at that infield. Hosmer. Yeah, it, it could be a good defensive infield. The bullpen's kind of a, in, in a mix and match situation right situation right now. A lot of the guys you've called out. Jaron Duran's been a disaster in center field. Uh, you know Jeter Downs to me is just a guy. Uh, if you're a Red Sox fans, you're you're probably of two minds here. These are our guys, and we like our guys, but holy hell, we got a lot of work to do. And, oh, by Mm -hmm. the way, there's, we're in a division with the Yankees. We're in a division with the Rays. The Jays have got a young core. And, oh, by the way, the Orioles now, yeah, the Orioles, there will be some regression. Hell, there may be regression in September with the Orioles, but they got a pitcher-friendly ballpark. Mm -hmm. They got some money. They've got Adley Rutschman. They've got Blueprint. They've got a mm. blueprint, They and they've got kids coming up in the minors. So if you're the Red Sox now, all of a sudden, you're looking at this aging team with a bunch of serious issues, like starting pitching and rotation are two serious issues to have in this division. And I wonder maybe if you're a Red Sox fan, you know, maybe this is, yeah, maybe we do keep Devers and then rebuild around Rafael
1: Devers. But there's a, a lot of work that needs doing. It's a ton with that team. It's a ton. That 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 will just tell you why it's so hard to win consistently in the American League East. If you have a hiccup, like I in know what you would you, game, have given, would you have given Trevor Story that contract right away? I think they had to. I think it's the Red Sox. I think with what's going on with Bogarts and the, and the unknowns, they needed a game, a a Plan B, and. I think they thought that Trevor Story was plan B. Now, I didn't. The arm strength, the accuracy, throwing from shortstop, offensively handling, being able to play when you're not doing so well. And he said it out loud, getting off to a slow start. But in Boston. he did. He, to, his credit, to his credit, no he rebounded. No he, question. To but his can, credit, he can, can he play every single day at shortstop? That's that's the big question. The and and I'm not sure that. And you remember, there's no shift. If there's no shift, yeah. what does that do with a guy that doesn't have the strength of the arm, the shoulder, all the things that you have to have to be a really good shortstop. Sometimes you got to throw from the grass, flat-footed, you know to first. Can you do it? I had somebody ah.
0: tell me in the last Jay's homestand, we were just talking about just talking about the situation with the shifts, and I, I had a coach tell me, you know what? It's going to be kind of interesting to see how many guys get hurt next year. Yeah. How many shortstops get Moving hurt. Moving around
1: so much, going from their position to having to go further away, how many? How many line drives? Buck Martinez talks about this all the yep. time. You know how somebody just hit a screaming "BB," dude, standing right there.
0: It may not be the case next year. That's- and how many? How many guys are going to get hurt? Leap, leaping, jumping, no making odd throws. I, I mean, it, it, it is so. That's gonna. That's not gonna play into Bogart's hands. No, either. it's not. Oh, no question. And that's the so thing well, with if both, you're, both if Bogart's endeavors. T- they they scream. Ultim- ultimately, you're gonna have to move them. Devers is gonna be a first base. Devers is gonna be a first. You're
1: paying baseman, him to actually. play first and hit bombs and hit yeah. three thirty. So yeah. Then what do you do with Bogart's? Do you move him to third? Yeah. I. I mean, it sounds like you don't do yeah. anything. I mean, you might give him the year that he. I. And the other thing too is
0: we didn't talk about this but all those shortstops have one thing in common they're rep by Scott Boris. Mm-hmm. Scott mm-hmm. Boris can think about what he think about the shortstop market next year. He owns baseball basically. He owns the shortstop market. He does. He can he he's got all these these pieces. Correa and uh I mean I've lost track of how many shortstops. I think he's got four of the top 5 shortstops that are going to be free. He's got all these these pieces. Mm-hmm. And you know how Scott Boris works. He uses one guy, and, and this is, again, this is why if I had a kid who was a player, I want Scott Boris to be my my kid's agent. I wanted him. He moves all his pieces around, and at the end of the day, everybody gets more money than you thought they were going to get. And each contract leads to the other guy getting, getting more money. And, and that's another factor here. If, if you're Scott Boris, do you go to – or I'm sorry, if you're Bogarts, do you take a step back and go maybe – this isn't the year to go into free agency. The other thing, too, if you're Bogarts, you're looking. On the other hand, if I wait a year, I'm going to be a year older. And we all know what happens. With free agency, the the older you are, the less you're going to get, generally. I mean, it is,
1: it, it's going to be, it's going to be an intriguing when the power nu- When the power numbers go down and your home field is Fenway Park and you're a right-handed hitter, what would that tell other teams? And
0: even if you've. Even if you've told people yeah. that you're hurt, it's still people. People are going to look at that and go, "Yeah, bud, you're you're still playing. You're still playing in Fenway Park. You're playing every day. You're a power hitter."
1: Yeah,
0: um, it's going to be fascinating times. It will be. Fascinating times at the Red Sox. Uh, Brad Lidge is MLB Network radio analyst. He is host of Loud Outs from three to six p.m. Eastern Time. Former MLB closer. We'll get his take on the AL East. We'll get his take on the bullpens around baseball. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590. The fans, Sportsnet 360, the Sportsnet Radio Network, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your
2: podcasts. <laughs>
0: All right, DMs are open for Barker's back leg bits. My Twitter handle is snJeffBlair. You okay over there? You okay over there? Yeah. Excited to talk to Brad. Sometimes it's like herding cats in here. Mm. Jeff, I'm a leader little I'm a little bit of baby city. Hey, you're an aircraft carrier. Yeah, absolutely, I am. You and Vladdy are aircraft carriers. Seven oh seven. is the first pitch tonight between the Red Sox and the Jays. On Sportsnet 590, the fan and Sportsnet Ross Stripling scheduled to go up against Josh Winkowski. Uh, The uh, rotation has not been set, but we believe it'll be Barrios and uh, Gossman as well. Uh, Following up Wednesday and Thursday. Friday, the Jays return home to take on the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Shohei Otani scheduled to pitch Saturday's game and uh, they're also, we'll also have the 30th anniversary of the 92 Jays uh, World Series team, on the 27th, which will be a lot of fun. Um, Brad Lidge is an MLB network radio analyst, host of Loud Outs from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern. He's also a former MLB closer. He's one of our favorite guests, and uh, he joins us on Blair and Barker. Brad, thanks for doing this. We trust that you're keeping well. Uh, The Jays have, since John Schneider took over from Charlie Montoyo, have become a lot more aggressive in their use of Jordan Romano, their closer. Uh, They've started, in addition to using him more, they have also started to use him to get more than than just three outs on a a more regular basis than they did before. As a closer, Brad, when do you get... What does it take to be comfortable, kind of crossing that threshold from a one-inning guy to now we're asking you to get the final out of the eighth? Sit down, get back up, and go out there and get him in the ninth.
3: Uh, that's a good question, and, and uh, first of all, pleasure to be back with you guys. Um, you know, I, it's it's interesting because the evolution of closers typically in their career is that they'll start off doing you know one and a third, one and two thirds, uh, maybe they're a setup guy for a while, so even two inning stints. Um, and then they'll eventually make their way back to that closing role, where they might still be doing a little bit of extended work. But then after they have that role for you know a certain amount of time, it kind of goes down to one inning. Um, that's the typical you know uh, trend. But obviously in this case, we're we're having him expand uh, out of the one inning role. And I think um, you know for I would say this for every reliever, every closer, it's different. There's a lot of guys that cannot do that. There's a lot of guys that cannot you know have that super coursing adrenaline, get out there for the ninth inning, you know, get the job done. And then they sit down and, you know, there's, there's no way they're going to get back up and get that same kind of stuff and same kind of adrenaline and, uh, you know, quality of inning if they go back out there. Um, so that's really, you know, closer dependent. Uh, some guys are able to do it. Now, I think in the case of Romano, I think he is because to me it doesn't ever look like he's super, super overhyped when he's out there. There are some guys, You know edwin diaz for example i mean he's going to be you know fist pumping like crazy he can do multiple innings as well um but there are some guys that just ride super high on the adrenaline and um you know guys later in their career also i would say are more one inning guys because uh the energy it takes to get out there and get that one inning and then sit down you lose a ton so i guess uh, for romano he's still young enough where he's capable of doing it He's not a guy that rides just entirely on adrenaline for one inning, so he's capable of doing it. So, yeah, I look at him, and I think he's one of those guys uh, that can give you that. And what you're obviously hoping is that the guys in front of him pitch effectively enough where you don't have to use them for an extended period. But uh, sometimes those guys are are good, but maybe they're not great, and uh, you need your best out there for as long as you possibly can get them.
1: Sticking with the closer theme, what is wrong with Josh Hader? Hmm
3: yeah well i mean it's been crazy and we've dissected this a ton on our on our radio show uh and it's i'll tell you it's it's hard to watch i mean you know as a a closer you know i've been through bad stretches before it's it's never an easy thing to to watch a guy battle through this but you know taking out of the role now in san diego the closer by committee thing that's fine you know that's what they can label it but that but haters not going to be closing anytime soon and they've got to get him right but the crazy thing for me is that his velocity and his stuff are as good as I've ever seen in his career. Uh, he's pumping 98, 99, but guys are getting more and more hits, and several things are happening. First of all, he's falling behind just about every single hitter. His confidence just isn't there, um, and so he's going 2-0, and he's getting into super predictable counts, <clears throat> and then he's grooving fastballs, and guys are teeing off. He's walking a ton of guys uh, as well, so um, he's creating a lot of hazards for himself out there, and obviously you know, his battle's between his ears because mm. – you know, when you're when you're that good and you've got that greatest stuff, uh, as we have seen him over the last few years have, um, nobody should be touching this guy. I actually think he is overthrowing a little bit right now, too, probably from a lack of trust in his stuff. And what happens when you do that? Yeah, your velocity might go up a, a click, but you lose your location and you lose your mechanics. And one of the best things about Josh Hader is that 96 mile an hour fastball that he has plays up more like about 100 because guys swing underneath it. It's got incredible backspin rotation and it has the you know appearance of a fastball that is going to land in one spot into that glove and it ends up about six inches higher and he's always had great mechanics dialed in on that now because he doesn't trust his stuff he's overthrowing and uh, even though the velocity might show it's a click higher the the jump that late life is no longer there on that fastball and so when he is missing over the plate guys are getting all over it Um, so it's going to be a tough adjustment for him and, and to be totally honest I don't know You know when he gets that job back, I assume he will earn it back here in a couple weeks. But they're going to need him to kind of just show some good quality outings out there uh, before they trust him to go back out in the ninth inning. But let me tell you, the Padres are desperate for him to be closing games out. They need him badly. Otherwise, that bullpen is nowhere near as effective. And uh, it's funny because Milwaukee, (laughs) their bullpen hasn't been great either since that trade. Uh, Both teams are, are suffering because of that trade.
0: It was very it's it's weird, but one of the things Alex Anthopoulos told us. After the World Series last year, and we've referred to it often, especially around the trade deadline, was that one of the things they wanted to do when they made their trades was they 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 wanted to get in, they wanted to bring in guys who were uh, on a bit of a roll, or certainly you know didn't need any special treatment, wasn't weren't working, didn't need to work on anything. They were looking for guys who were playing pretty well at the time the deal was going to be made. And I looked at Josh right. Hader. Now, he has not been that good since June, right? I think he's, he, his final 10 innings with Milwaukee weren't weren't very good. Uh, then he comes over to San Diego. But it's also – I think he's only pitched like three and a third innings for San Diego. And, and I'm wondering if that – dealing – I understand he hasn't been good since June, and I'm sure Josh Hader knows he hasn't been good since June – but three and a third innings. Uh, part of me thinks that Josh Hader must be sitting there kind of scratching his head and going, man, have they given up on me already? Because closing is a well, mental it, game, right? Yeah.
3: It, it's interesting, right? So five, I think five appearances, three and a third innings. And uh, for him, you know, obviously he hasn't recorded. He didn't, I don't think he got an out in his last one. But for him, the thing that I find most interesting is so, so kind of two elements here. He, he was struggling a little bit with Milwaukee. Uh, and I think they were kind of on the borderline of potentially trading him anyways, which is I thought was a terrible uh, idea. But he had those rough those rough outings, and then he kind of corralled it back. So then he had like three or four outings where he didn't give up like uh, anything. He had like three or four real clean outings, and I was like, oh, he's got it back. And I'm guessing San Diego saw that, and they mm-hmm. were like, okay. His, his, this is the window because his value is a little bit lower. Cause everyone remembers those, you know, not so good games he had, but it looks like he's got it back dialed in. So San Diego pulls the trigger on that trade, thinking their bullpen's going to get much better. And he goes out there and he's searching for, but you know, it's funny, even his first outing or two in San Diego were pretty good. So, um, I don't know where this came from, but I will tell you that watching him throw and listening to his fans, those fans are booing him out there in San Diego. That never happens. Like it's San Diego for God's sake. So, um, you know, that's really strange. And and certainly when a trade like that happens and a guy like him comes over and he's battling with himself a little bit and your new home state, you know, your new home fans are getting on you and booing a little bit. That can't be a good place mentally uh, to have to fight through that. So he's, he's got some serious challenges going on right there. And uh, you're right, normally you want a guy locked in when you make the trade, but he, he had those outings right before that trade where it looked like he did get it dialed back in, uh, but clearly uh, he's still battling some stuff now.
1: Staying in the National League, what do you make of your Phillies?
3: Yeah, It's, it's tough uh, to know. You know, There's a lot of back and forth there. I, I will tell you this, they are, they are a postseason team. Uh, that lineup you know, has not performed all the way to their ability for most of the year, but they're starting to come around. Um, the rotation, you know, you have, uh, Aaron Nolan, Zach Wheeler at the top, uh, you know, in a three game series, a, a wild card, you know, series that they're going to have, I think they can be very dangerous, at least in the first round. Now, I'm not going to say that, you know, they're as good as the Braves or the Mets or the Dodgers. I don't think that's the case, but could they take down a team like the Cardinals? I think so. Now, the big thing for them is that Bryce will be coming back. It looks like before the end of the season. And if they can put him back in there, then all of a sudden now you've got a really dangerous team. The bullpen is definitely improved over where it's been over the last couple of years. Um, they made a trade for David Robertson out there, and uh, you know he's been doing real well this year, although he didn't have a great game uh, two nights ago. Uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez has been great in their bullpen, although he is having dealing with some tricep tendonitis right now. So it's, it's still a little bit shaky in the bullpen, but it's better than it's been in the past. Overall, I think the Phillies are a postseason team. I just don't see them advancing deep into the postseason.
0: How do you think the Yankees play out play things out with their bullpen. Jonathan Lawiska got the save yesterday. Uh, we yeah. know that, that Clay Holmes is going to come back at some point. And if Clay Holmes comes back and is the Clay Holmes, he was before the all-star break, the things are going to be fine, but they've also got a role. This Chapman kind of rattling around there. How, how does, how does Aaron Boone play this? Is, is there a point in time where he has to give the ball back to Aroldis in, in the, closers role and, and, you know, give him a couple of games to see if he can do it or, is, it, is that just not not on the table right now?
3: Well, it might not be for this moment, but I think you're you're onto something. I, I do think that you know now that Michael King is out for the season, and he was you know they're probably their most effective reliever sure. for most of the first half until Clay Holmes really just was dialed in and he was incredible. But even Holmes has had a couple hiccups his last few outings before he uh, is missing some time here. I, I would say this: the Yankees absolutely are at their best if they can have Chapman close and Clay Holmes as a setup guy. Um, that would be ideal. But I don't think they're going to move our oldest Chapman into that closing role, you know, maybe even the rest of the year, unless he can really go out there and show a string of about 10 to 12, just flat dominant outings. And then you would have an incredible luxury of having him be that weapon again. But I, you know, he's going to really have to show some, some domination here before they, before they go there. That would be uh, again, like I said, an ideal scenario because Holmes, you know, available in the seventh inning, all of a sudden is a game changer for that team instead of having him just close. They've got other guys in that pen that, you know, that are all right. Efros just got hurt one of their trades. So they, they are not a great bullpen. It's definitely a different bullpen than we have seen in the past where the Yankees have just dominated from the pen. And uh, you know, it's, it's well, one thing to me, that's kind of interesting to, to kind of keep your eye on the last few weeks, losing so many games that they actually haven't had the need for you know a a ton of like regular seventh eighth ninth inning work uh where they have the lead and uh you know that's going to change at some point and I'm very curious to see how they kind of stack that up and see what Boone does you mentioned the getting a save I mean that's uh that's interesting and he might be in the mix for that but it is definitely not a a dominant Yankees bullpen the way it was in the past
1: last question for us if Pujols ends with 698 what do you think he does yeah
3: Um, well, first, I want to see him pass a rod that's just my personal mm-hmm. I'm uh, so you're on board with him. everybody with there yeah <laughs> yeah uh, i'd love to see him get six ninety seven and i I think honestly if he gets six ninety eight or even six ninety nine uh, maybe he comes back but i he really is very sincere about this being his last year Neil you know, if you guys kind of remember the some of the all time legends of the game Jeter and and Mo Rivera, when those guys kind of went out, ripped in, and everyone knew it was their last season, you know, everywhere they went they had these giant elaborate ceremonies and, you know, these plaques that they got and these, you know, key to the city things, whatever. I mean, it was just like, you know, everywhere they went they were, they were kind of just a super celebrity because it was going to be the last time they were there. And I don't think a whole lot of athletes want to do that and then all of a sudden repeat that. And I don't think Pujols does either. Like, his plans are definitely to retire after the season. But uh, as good as he's hitting right now, You know, it might it might get really tough for him to say no uh, if the Cardinals are able to, you know, go deep into the postseason. I'll tell you what, if the the Cardinals somehow won the whole thing, I don't care if he's on 6.99, he's shutting it down. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that being said, um, 6.98, 6.99, it definitely leaves the door open for him, but it's not his intent, uh, from what I have heard, and uh, you know, for him to want to to come back and play next year. Like he's he's physically, I think, uh, feeling about as good as he has in a long time, but uh, he, he knows that those windows are have been few and far between for him the last, uh, you know, really last seven or eight years.
0: Mm-hmm. Brad, thanks so much for doing this great stuff. Yeah, guys, you
3: bet. We'll look forward to next time. All
0: righty, take care. It's Brad Lidge, MLB network radio analyst. Loud outs can be heard from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern. He's also former MLB closer with some great insight on the the Yankees bullpen. That That is, see, I almost think that that, that eight-game lead, that gives Aaron Boone a certain amount of, hmm. A, an ability to maybe play with his bullpen a little bit, I'll but say, you got to get that lined up I'll for say the postseason.
1: This, the only, the one thing that could get Boney fired would be that pen. Well, I think that's give them a the good excuse.
0: Uh, it's that time of the show Barker's back leg bits where, uh, we solicit listener slash viewer questions a lot of folks weighing in, Kevin, and your your question about uh, about what they need to see from the Jays. A lot of people here are looking at eight and four, um, okay, as uh, the record they need to see from the Jays over 12 games. Dylan Anderson says, "Guys, for the Jays to go 10 and two, they'd need Jordan Romano to pitch three days in a row." Hashtag not going to happen. So, uh, see,
1: I see, I would, I would think they'd need Springer to play three games in a row. Well, that's other than that. that.
0: There they go. That's uh, bingo. The mm-hmm. else also mentioned that that would be a case. Uh, talking about New York, Mike B asks us, Joey Gallo looks refreshed getting out of New York. Boy, does he ever, do you mm-hmm. think Aaron judge sees that and says this looks enticing when he thinks about free agency? I, actually, I think it's money, 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 money. Exactly, and I think money. I think if anything else, Aaron Judge probably looked at 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 what has happened uh, with Joey Gallo, and, and if anything, it's just kind of reinforced in his mind that you know Judge
1: has got enough nerve to look right at an exactly. a reporter and go, I don't have any idea what that word means. Yeah. But I, I think he's He he's wired different. Yeah, he is wired different. But it's about I think the money. He also Let's, not lie. That. Let's not lie about
0: no, it. No, it's gonna be about and you no know, and question. I think it's gonna be I think it's gonna be about the money more than the term, even with him. I think he wants to be the highest question. paid player in the game. Tell you me. And yeah. I if
1: you doubt somebody say else will I can't, I
0: can't San Francisco, I bet will. Right? can't say oh San Francisco would pony up in a heartbeat for him. I keep telling you guys, San Francisco is gonna come out of this offseason. They're going to
1: have a couple it's of the big name free agents. It's a different animal, though, hitting in the cold.
0: Well, it is, and we just finished talking about Aaron Judge in that short little mm. that short little little porch in right field. That is so enticing. Uh, yeah, Alexander bounce. W. Let's uh, from Tokyo, listener from Tokyo. Your segment with Jim Cott was fascinating, interesting. to you Know how prominent pitchers used out of the box, thinking like throwing footballs to tune their mechanics, et cetera, et cetera. My question is. You often talk about the uh, the importance of routine especially for starting pitchers. Yep. Is there any instance when having a fixed routine can get in a player's way? I ask because knowing the Japanese baseball culture and how regimented and fixated to routine and repetition is, I wonder if maybe Kakuchi needed to break away from his routine. Being in the pen uh, might force him to be ready any day to better emph- a, uh improvise and need to adjust in the fly. I mean, it's an interesting
1: It is, that's a that's a great point. It's I I think being willing to adjust is an art, and it's not always the easiest thing to do. You get really got to talk yourself into it. Like, I had a, I had a certain thing I did every single day offensively. Hit this time in the cage, hit this number of balls off the tee. I'd hit on the field off the tee this many times. And then if I didn't, I felt naked. Let me throw something out naked. there to you. So, yeah, it's a, that's a it's great an interesting point question. a great question.
0: What if you say Kikuchi is the type of guy who responds to, hey, get up.
1: You're in in the next Well, let's so. If you're a Blue Jays fan, you
0: hope No, but so. just think about that. He's got, it's not like he's – then he doesn't have four days to think about doing this and that and the pause and this and that.
1: It's uh, – you you're, you're going out can there. Can you throw 97 mil away to both sides of the plate? If You can do that.
0: But we've talked about how so much of it is between his ears. Now he's in a situation where he might be used tonight, might not be used tonight, might be used two games in a row. I mean, I, I don't think they would. But what I'm saying is I, I'm wondering if maybe that isn't – Something that might help him here because he can't, you know, you can yeah, be used I tonight.
1: Think, I would think John Snyder's going to help by putting him against a couple of lefties, you know, where he's good glove side. He didn't have to overthink it. 97 got against it. the lefty. That's going to play.
0: You've got those those games coming up against Pittsburgh. and t- It would be interesting to see what happens if you say Kikuchi, if you start putting him in in those games, and he has three good outings out of the bullpen all of a sudden. See, you thought that by just talking about you say Kikuchi, I would get all worked up, but no, no, no.
1: Took me saying George Springer needs to I mean, figure out his I mean, own I mean, I way I to keep himself there. on the field. That, How dare you control your own destiny?
0: Blue Jays talk immediately following tonight. Blue Jays game, Mr. Barker and myself will be hosting it. We'll be back from 10 to noon Eastern tomorrow with Blair and Barker. If you are subscribing via podcast, please rate and review as well and uh, have
1: yourself a great afternoon.